Hey folks, thanks for joining me for this episode of the Embellished Podcast, a podcast focused on product stories, product storytellers, interesting brand ambassadors, and any other tangent that I happen to come up with. Whether you're a bourbon fan, a geek, a casual observer, or someone just floating through this channel, I hope you find it interesting. And if you got here by chance, please take a moment to hit the subscribe button. Hopefully it can be found on any podcasting platform that exists. And if you can't find me on a platform, send me an email at embellishpod at gmail.com and I'll try to get that taken care of. I also generally live stream the recording of these episodes on YouTube on Wednesday nights. You can find all of my links on Instagram at EmbellishPod or Twitter with the exact same handle. I have a website. It is www.embellishpod.com. It's a place to pick up these links, account details, episode details, and more. Today is August the 3rd, and we're going to be talking about French oak. Before we get too deep in it, you know, we always talk about a little bit of stuff beforehand. Um, we're finally back to doing some very traditional episodes. Last a few weeks, I've had some uh, fantastic interviews and opportunities to talk to some people working on a whole bunch more opportunities to do that as well. Um, given that we are talking about French Oak tonight, I'm starting off with some Sealbox Private Reserve. Um, Sealbox comes from the folks over at the Sealbox website. Um, Blake uh, started off as something that's more of a joke, and we'll talk about this brand a little bit more later on, but it's a bottle that is finished in French Oak, um, specifically toasted French Oak, as well as maple syrup bottles, and 100% you could tell there's a maple syrup bottle that was in, in, involved in this particular process. Some some news, something that's hit in the last few days that um, you know I, I had sort of given up on. I was um, carefully following the TTB website, and TTB is where you're going to go to find out any new news around um, distilled spirits or spirits in general. Um, alcohol, whatever, um, and been waiting and hoping for the announcement that American Single Malt was going to get its definition. So it's something they've been working on for a while, and I know they submitted some of the information um, to. Let me go check this here. Yay! Skipped frames. Awesome. Um, they had announced their um, intent to submit a. Identity to the TTB and hopefully it was going to get approved and that has been put out for comment now on their website um, So here's the definition straightforward uh, American single malt whiskey is whiskey that is mashed matured and distilled at a single United States distillery It's also distilled to a proof not exceeding 160 from a fermented mash of 100% malted barley, stored in oak containers not exceeding a capacity of 700 liters, and is bottled at not less than 80 proof. So that follows along with what we were sort of hoping, um, giving the initial standards of identity that you know they, they wanted to have. Um, one of the things that was really interesting about this, at least for me, was... There's a section on this around the effect that this will have on already approved labels. Uh, there's a handful, a handful, there's more than a handful. There's quite a few distilleries that are making American single malts that have them out in the marketplace that you can pick up in any given day. And the impact to them could be relatively significant if they don't meet these definitions or cannot, I guess, maybe even prove that they meet these definitions, um, that if this particular standard of identity is accepted, it will revoke 
any label that does not meet the proposed standard of identity. So we could learn some really interesting things in the next um, few weeks, months, um, as they move towards approval on this particular thing. Like I said, it's still in the comment phase. So there's, um, there's potential that... Um, I need to kill a few things that are feeding off my internet. Um, there's potential that this is not going to pass, obviously. I mean, any any proposal could be um, kind of pushed back, but uh, odds are that there's not going to be any reason why it shouldn't be. Uh, so whenever it does get approved, there could be a handful of uh, folks that are on American Single Malt that lose their label immediately. Um, I'd be interested to see sort of how that pans out. Um <laughs> See, see what's going to happen, whether the, and part of the reason for the comment portion of this, commentary portion of having these rules up on their website is for some of these producers to come in and add their comments as to whether this rulemaking would affect, affect any of their existing labels. Um, but it'll tell us a lot, as a consumer, it'll tell us a lot about what's already out there that is um, labeled as an American single malt or malt whiskey, or American malt whiskey, or whiskey distilled from malt mash. Um, you know, all of those things get to stay the same. But if you're considering yourself an American single malt whiskey, you're going to have to hit those standards of identity. Um, be interesting, like I said, be interesting to see what happens. Um, absolutely no telling as to how, what kind of impact this has. But like I said, we were starting off the night, we're talking about um, French oak. French oak is, you know, pretty prevalent within the whiskey industry specifically. Um, really, really prevalent in wine, and you're going to find more and more tasting notes. You know, on tasting notes, there, there's this tasting note of oak, you know. Um, but now we're starting to see the word French oak pop up on there, and so that'll be a good opportunity to talk about what does that mean, what is the impact to you as the consumer, um, as, you know, as a person wanting to... You know, better understand what's actually in your bottle, but it would be a good time to talk about it. And so um, I indicated we're starting the night off with some seal box, their um, private reserve. This is batch one. That's going to be blown out because of white color. Um, it is what it is. Um, finished and toasted French oak and maple syrup barrels. And this is in that vein of, of independent bottlers. Uh, independent bottlers is, are really, really prevalent in Scotch whiskey uh, and are becoming more and more prevalent in bourbon and American whiskeys. But what they did is they, um, at least for batch one, you know, there's there's two batches that exist of this right now. Um, there are two lots of barrels. They blend things together. There's a two-year and six-month-old bourbon, and then a 10-year and two-month-old bourbon that makes up a smaller portion of this mixture. And so you get a good mix of relatively young and very, very, not very, but a good age uh, of, of whiskey. And then they, they blend these two together and to their appropriate taste profile, toss it in um, ex-bourbon maple syrup barrels and um, French oak barrels just to kind of see how that comes out. And then they put it together, and the idea is to come out with something really, really tasty. Um, if you can get both of them, uh, it's a really good opportunity to start uh, where you're starting with the same base for batch two. And you they actually incorporated 
30 gallons from the original batch one and 25 of the, of the unfinished blend. And so, um, so the, the completely finished out 30 gallons from this, this finished batch plus another 25 of the blend that went into that and then put it in this second batch reserve to kind of give maybe some degree of uh, differentiation, how it's maturing over time, whatever. Um, this is a, a big fun experiment that a retailer uh, or at least somebody who started off in, in the retailer vein has begun. And it, like I said, it, it is, it is pretty, pretty delicious. Um, most notes are going to have a lot of syrupy or sugary or creme brulee. It's sweet. It's really, really, really sweet. It's not something that I think that I could drink a ton of, but it is a fantastic, um, this was, this is a fantastic dessert, uh, whiskey for sure. But what is what is French oak doing here? Like we all have a good idea of what maple syrup is, and what kind of impact maple syrup might actually have. Um, what what's happening in the oak specifically? You know, the, there's a lot of of conversation around American oak and the the need for you know American oak is is dying off or whatever. Um, bourbon standards, if I remember correctly, only indicate that it has to be in a new charred oak container. It doesn't indicate that it has to be American oak. It doesn't have to be American white oak. And there's a ton of people that are out there doing experiments with different types of oak that exist. Um, hopefully, this stream holds together. It looks like the <laughs> it looks like it's not doing too well. You know, if if it's too choppy on YouTube, I'll pull it down and, and re-upload it because I'm actually doing a recording of the episode as well. Um, give me just a second. All right. So, um, kind of backing up a little bit, you know, we want to know what, what French oak does, but why is oak the thing? You know, whenever we start talking about um, a standard of identity, kind of like what's happening happening with American uh, single malts, where they're indicating the need to be um, put into an oak container, right? Oak becomes that standard uh, wood profile that's going to exist in a lot of whiskeys. Why oak? Why not some other thing? Why not hickory? Why not whatever else? It has more to do with, it has, you know, there were thoughts that, oh, like oak was abundant in the United States. That's why I used it. Has more to do with its its strength, its workability, um, and the the lack of things that are going to come out of that wood into the whiskey that are going to be off putting. You know, pine is going to have a ton of resin and sap to it. It's going to blend into the whiskey. It may not be a super great. Uh, flavor profile but then taking it a step further um, oak has a really tight grain pattern and it's going to permit uh, more gradual extraction of wood flavors it's going to be tougher for the whiskey to get into the heart of the wood and pull those things out and so it's going to hold up to longer um, longer aging time frames it's going to be resilient um, and and the workability of it is, is it's going to be flexible. You're going to be able to, to, to steam bend it or to bend it. Um, other hardwoods are more likely to break whenever you go into the actual bending and woodworking portion of it. Um, ton of stuff. And so then when you get into oak, there's a ton of oak that exists out there. There's red oak, there's black oak, there's white oak, there's whatever else um, that happens to be. But White oak is the preferred barrel to begin with in the whiskey industry, and that has more to do with it being considered in the oak realm more of a tighter grain. So we're back into this um, 
lack of evaporation, um, tougher for the whiskey to get into the graining of the wood and um, impact flavor profiles. Um, it just is it, over time they found that it is more beneficial, more useful, more um, conscientious of what you're trying to do to use oak to do these things. And so, you know, that's generically going to be American white oak. And, you know, the, I, I could get into the scientific names. I've done it before on this <laughs> podcast. Sometimes they're, they're far less interesting to talk about that. Um, but there's a lot of French oak that is used in the wine industry. And, you know, it's maybe it's its proximity to the the places where you know, French French wine is being made. Um, but it has different flavor profiles. It has a different impact on the final um, output of, of product. Um, French oak is generically harvested from a few of different uh, the different forests that exist. Um, and it's going to impart different nuances in its flavor profiles. Tightness of grain is there, uh, similar to white oak in America or American white oak or whatever you want to call it. It's, um, it has a unique flavor profile. That's what we're really trying to get down to. This is this regional characteristic that exists within French oak that's not there in American oak. Um, now we all know, you know, variation of flavor profiles can happen from tree to tree. Um, that has to do with age of the tree. It has to do with the way it grew. It has to do with if it was farmed or not farmed. Like there's a ton of things that go into it. But both American and French oaks are going to contribute tannins and aroma. French oak tends to contain more tannins and flavor components, and has less of an oaky flavor profile and smell than, than American oak does. Um, American oak is, can be somewhat aggressive over time. And maybe that's why, um, the, the subtlety of it is, is more interesting for, for longer, um, aging profiles, uh, or as secondary finishes, because, you know, if you're jumping into a brand new French oak cask, um, would you be picking up a lot of flavor real quick? Because we know that a lot of the flavor comes in the first year or two being in the cask, but being French oak, is it, more subtle in its impact. It, it, it seems to be the case, but how do we, how do we sort of prove that? And we'll talk about how we potentially prove that, or at least understand how we as an individual perceive the flavor profiles that come out of a, a French oak cask. One of the other things that we've found over time is that American oak tends to contain more, um, vanilla aromas and flavor pro profiles it has to do with the vanillin compound, uh, the vanillin content that exists within the oak itself. Um, just sort of happens that way. Uh, French oak tends to have darker flavor profiles. It has to dark chocolate, roasted coffee beans, savory spices, things along that lines. Um, American oak. Like I said, it has more vanilla, it has more coconut, and one of the things that we can pick up pretty significantly is as we think about rye in North America, it can pick up a dill flavor profile that may not uh, necessarily be there. And, and what is historically thought to be the case is French oak tends to be more of an elegant 
uh, flavor profile and oak, American oak, specifically American white oak, can be more aggressive, more assertive. Um, but it can have <laughs> that can be because of the wood, or it can be because of the way the wood specifically is worked as well. Uh, because you can work French oak and American oak in um, different ways. So, um, French oak is potentially and slightly more delicate than American oak is. Um, and so when we think about how you're going to treat staves, um, generically they would prefer to hand split the staves for French oak as opposed to sawing. In, in American oak, they cut the tree down, they start doing cross cuts, they pull out the staves, and they actually just use a saw to do everything. Whereas with French oaks, traditionally, they're more interested in splitting the staves. And so what that does is you, you kind of place a wedge in between the wood grain. As you hammer down, it follows the wood grain and it splits naturally. And so it's not creating half grain patterns. Uh, I think quarter sawn might be a term that some folks might be familiar with that's going to be somewhat more understanding or more understandable, but um, French methodologies in wood treatment and barrel making and cooperage are going to lend more towards um, you know air drying wood, splitting the stays, and then toasting the inside of them, as opposed to the more aggressive charring in the inside, uh, potentially kiln drying wood, and then sawing the staves. Right, and so now we're looking at a very specific difference in how the wood potentially has been treated, depending upon where it's been made. Now, obviously, there are probably a ton of coopers out there that are taking French oak and they're sawing it. They're just running a saw through it and seeing what happens, um, but. They may also have a higher failure rate. You know, it, it's it's a it's a manufacturing game at that point. You start deciding which is going to be more beneficial than the rest. Man, I'm getting a ton of notifications that this stream is not super healthy. So it looks like I may be re-uploading this video after the fact. Um, American barrels. You know, can be kiln dried. That, that that happens, but uh, at volume. And this is one of the things where where my in laws live um, in Southwest Tennessee. There's actually a stave mill down the road, and they have just a yard full of of staves that they've sawn up and palletized and just sat out in the air to um, to be able to dry out. And, and the hope is, and they actually even have sprinkler systems for whenever they're starting to dry too fast because the temperature's too high and the humidity's too low. Um, they can place wood back on them so they can dry, dry them out slower. Uh, it's a, to prevent checking. Checking is what happens whenever wood, whenever moisture escapes wood too fast and the ends start to split and you start to lose the ability um, to use that stave to create a barrel from it. And so um, we're now... Air, mostly air drying the wood just because it's hard to kiln dry that much wood uh, that fast and be able to kind of burn through it. And so you're able to just kind of stockpile these things out in the yard. Um, there's still some considerations that kind of go into play. And whenever you think about wood graining, um, maybe the, the better way to think about it is if you were to look at if wood grain runs up and down on a oak stave. Um, thanks cliff. Yeah, it's, it's show it's, it keeps, I've got literally six notifications in here that the stream health is pretty low. Um, but I don't know. We'll see if it's going fine. It's skipped frame, skipped frame, skipped frame. So maybe it's just jumping slightly. But anyways, um, thinking about 
wood, it's more like a series of straws. Whenever it's on end, whenever you see that vertical grain pattern, they're more like straws that go from top to bottom. And that's how the wood actually drinks. Like if you were just to take a bunch of straws and bundle them up, you know, liquid goes up and down through those patterns. Well, whenever you're, um, cutting wood, you're going to expose the ends of some of those straws as opposed to splitting it where you're going to not expose those things. So it's going to have to come through the sidewalls. And so, um, whether it's split or sawn can have an impact on the flavor profiles. Um, traditionally French tends to leak more if it's sawn than American oak will. And that has to do with the way the graining patterns happen. You know, if it's tighter grain, if you were to cut straight down, you're more likely to cut across a grain and expose the end of that grain, which is now going to put it in a, you know, open straw type concept like I was talking about. It's a real weird, real weird uh, thing to sort of think about. But um, kind of going back to the the initial initial concept is that if we were to start thinking about terroir, right? If we were to start thinking about the impact that barrels have on wood or specific wood profiles, um, French oak, you know, American oak has dill, coconut, vanilla, and more sweet spices. Whereas French oak is supposed to have darker flavors, darker chocolates, roasted coffee beans, savory spices, all of those things. Now, how can we tell as consumers, like, is this actually happening? Is is there something unique that happens or is this just all marketing gimmick or, or hokum? And kind of the first place to start is find a whiskey that has been aged in French oak uh, one way or the other. And, and you'll find sort of two different approaches to that. Um, some folks are aging in French oak barrels and some folks are aging using French staves, French oak staves. They'll do a, a finishing product. And so that's uh, where you sort of land there is like, how do we figure out what is what? Now, if you were, if you're lucky, if you're really, 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 really lucky, um, you might be able to come across um, some, some products from Buffalo Trace. Buffalo Trace puts out the old charter oak, uh, and it is a series of oak profiles that they're sort of testing out and more most recently they've done a french oak finish and that french not even finish rather it is a french oak aging and they're actually taking and aging their mashville one in a french oak cask you know it's it's not a it's not a finishing technique it is just straight up aged in that and if we rewind the the clock a little bit back in 2005 they actually began an experiment where they were aging in French oak barrels. And this is where they had the Buffalo Trace Experimental Series. They put out, side by side, they put out two whiskeys, one that was aged in a French oak cask and one that was aged in an American oak cask with French heads, uh, French barrel heads, and to, to see what would, what would be the impact. And they ran it for 10 years. And so in 2015, these Buffalo Trace Experimental Collection things came out. Um, you know, you got to think, if you go back to 2005, bourbon wasn't what it is now and so they were taking a pretty significant risk and then running that out for 10 years um so they get to 2015 and lo and behold this this flavor profile works out um what we're seeing now is that the old charter french oak is doing the exact same thing it is a 10 year old whiskey that is aged explicitly in a french oak cask um it's the exact same stuff and i would i would guess you know coming from buffalo trace that it is probably Mashbill one as well. And so you could potentially pick up a Mashbill one that is in a similar 
proofing concept and put it side by side. And you'd have to find something that was closer to 10 years, um, you know, whatever you have to do to try to get there. Now, that is that is incredibly unlikely. And starting with something like this seal box, which is finished, uh, finished in toasted French oak maple syrup barrels, we have no idea what the initial distillate tastes like, so we don't really know... What is the impact? What is the impact if it was bourbon in American oak? What is the impact if it was in uh, French oak barrels? So let's move into a way that you as a consumer actually can get there. And you can find out and you can answer the question, is this, is French oak something that I'm interested in? Is French oak a gimmick? Does French oak make a difference? How many times can I say French tonight? We'll see. Um, we'll start with Davies County. Davies County um, is a whiskey product that you will have the best ability. Maybe, maybe only if you're in Kentucky or in close areas. It depends on distribution in your area, obviously. But Davies County has a French oak finish, but they also have the standard offering that is exactly the same product prior to French oak finishing. And so if you're out shopping, you can find um, this bottle like I said, it's going to be washed out because it is just, you know, it's a bright light shining on it happens. Um, but they have the standard, oh, they have the standard uh, whiskey mash bill and they have the, the standard, their, their French oak finishing. And so it's a corn, wheat, rye, malt, straight bourbon blend that they then put in French oak for six months. And six months is not a ton of time, but this is a good opportunity for you to be able to take what's in this bottle and compare it directly against what's in the other bottle and you understand where it is. And so we have the straight bourbon, then we have the bourbon that has been finished in French oak. And so you'll start to decide, hey, does this pick up any of those darker flavors that it's supposed to get? You know, maybe we'll get a, a, a wonderful blending of the things. You'll be able to find that it's got some... Um, dark chocolate or um, some more savory flavor profiles that exist. Um, what the one thing that kind of comes through for me is that I've had the standard offering and I've had this one and I still get what I generically get out of lower proof and younger whiskeys is there's this white grape note that sort of comes along, but there is a dustiness. There's a, a, a musty, flavor but it's not like bad you know like it's it's almost like being in an old woodworking shop where there's you know some some significantly aged wood and so it gives it a a deeper profile than maybe would have been there before so that's sort of a good place to start but if you want to get into like exploring the nuances of french oak um probably the second most approachable way to do it um is starting with maker's mark Maker's Mark, I've talked about them a ton of times, but um, they really invested themselves in French oak uh, some time ago, whenever they began the Maker's 46 process and trying to understand, um, trying to build out a new flavor profile that was not what they had done in the past. Um, but you have an opportunity where you could go to a store in most places and pick up Maker's 46 cat. 46 cask strength and maker's mark cask strength and you can put them up against each other because it's going to be the same mash bill it's just going to be using a french oak stave finishing concept and so they use their french oak staves to finish it out um, i would 
lend towards trying to go the cask strength route. You could do the standard maker's mark and the standard maker's 46, but you know, if you can get it at cask strength, you're getting it closer to what it actually comes out of the barrel at. So you can, um, let your palate do the deciding instead of, you know, having some watered down flavor profiles and maybe the watering down doesn't benefit you. I mean, you have an opportunity to, to proof it down yourself. You know, you can add some drops of water, But it doesn't stop there with Maker's Mark. Maker's Mark is in a um, private selection game now. Like, this is something that didn't exist a handful of years ago, but it does now. And so they've got um, sort of five standard stave profiles that they run right now. And um, only one of them is an American oak stave. They have their number one, which is baked American pure, and it's just an American oak that's toasted. But every other stave profile that they have now, and what I'm actually drinking tonight is the roasted French mocha stave, which was discontinued a little over a year ago, and it was replaced with the French Mendiant, and I don't, I'm probably probably pronouncing that wrong if I had to guess, but it largely doesn't matter. But the difference between those two staves were the roasted French mocha was a French oak that was cooked on high in a convection oven. So cooked, not necessarily toasted, not necessarily charred, but cooked on that. Whereas the French, French Mendiant is cooked on a low temperature in a convection oven to try to maybe tame it down a little bit. But there's also the French Cuvée. Um, there is the Maker's 46 stave, which is their standard French oak. And so like I said, if you go back to it, it's um, French oak that is seared, right? Just seared. That's all it is. And, you know, there's 10 of these staves that are put in a barrel. Um, they actually have built, and, and sometimes you'll see the... Um, background that I might use on StreamYard. It has a whole bunch of barrels up against a wall or a whole bunch of barrels on the ground. That's actually in their Maker's Mark 46 uh, aging um, cellar that they've sort of carved out of the side of a mountain um, to try to slow down the aging process or at least make it a little more, um, a little less intense for some of those French, uh, French oak finishes for the Maker's 46 um, whatnot. Um, but if you look at anything that they indicate, they're going to be looking for um, dried fruit, vanilla, spice, chocolate. These are all flavor profiles that exist. I mean, they're actually calling out French mocha in the old stave profile, which you can get a sort of a chocolatey flavor. So if you're wanting to discover is French oak a thing, Maker's Mark is another place to do it. And that's a really approachable place because it's a wheated whiskey that most people are very, very familiar with, very friendly with. And then it's their more um, new age version they put out the the um, Maker's 46 cast strength both great bottles both wildly approachable um, good ways to, to to sort of explore whether that's a thing for you or not um, you know uh, and and we started off with probably the one that no one is ever going to be able to get, you know, looking at Buffalo Trace, being able to do the old Charter Oak or the Buffalo Trace experimental collection. And then the, the final one, and, you know, I had these, these, these folks on with me on an episode, um, you know, a month ago or so, but the, the, the guys over at Penelope, um, what, what they're doing specifically is really, really interesting. You've got, um, 
you've got you've got Mike and and Danny that are working towards kind of exploring this French oak concept, and they've got their oak scan technology that they're talking through, but they're taking their Penelope foregrain, which you can buy just about anywhere online, and then you have the first architect series, and they're taking the foregrain whiskey, putting it in with some French oak staves, and they're creating a flavor profile. And on the back of every bottle, this is the thing that I, I really enjoyed about this, and we didn't get to talk about this, and I really hate the fact that we didn't talk about it, but on the back of the bottle here, you can see there's what's called a spidergram, and it talks about flavor profiles, and the difference between batch one and batch two exists. And so what you can see is you can go and you can go out and purchase the foregrain, and you can get the standard flavor profile. You can figure out what um, what they're trying to do. And then you can go potentially pick up or get a sample of Architect Number One. And Architect Number One is their first foray into French oak finishing. You know, they they put it in there for as long as it took to get the the flavor profile that they were after. And then whenever they came back to it and they do Architect Number 2, Architect Batch 2 has a different flavor profile. And so this would be an opportunity for you to see the growth and maturation of what they're trying to do with it. In the same way that you might be able to do that with the seal box, um, but you don't have the control group of what was the original distillate for the seal box. With Penelope, you can get the control group. You can get the four grain. Then you can pick up an architect number one uh, if you can find one anywhere. If you find somebody that's got some that'll send you a sample, I mean, send me an email. Maybe I'll send you a sample. Um, then if you go out and find architect batch two, which is on shelves right now, you see what they're specifically doing. But you can still see the impact that French oak is having on the original bourbon distillate. You can kind of discover, is it a flavor profile for you? And for me, it tends to be a thing that I'm interested in because um, more oak is better. You know, give me something that I can chew on the wood and I'm probably there. And I have, you know, have my batch one. And then they were, you know, kind enough to provide me with a sample of batch two. I'll be on the lookout for it. But trying to understand how different oaks impact flavor profiles um, is one of those like super nerdy things that I think everybody can, or not everybody, but at least anybody who's listening to this can absolutely get into, um, you know, going back and thinking about other, other groups that are out there. Um, I know that Broken Barrel has done some Mizunara and some other folks have done Mizunara, which is going to be a Japanese oak. Um, then going back to Old Charter, they've done Chinkapin oak and Mongolian oak and Canadian oak. These are all different oak profiles that they're trying to get at and see, you know, I, is there a new, different, interesting flavor profile that can come out of different oak species that exist, whether they be in North America or anywhere for that matter? And then going back to um, talking talking with um, with with the guys from from the Bhutan Wine Company, they're trying to harvest locally grown oak trees to age the wine there. Now, what is the 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 Bhutanese oak? How is that going to impact a whiskey? Like, I, I want to know the answer to all of these things. And so, kind of going back to the original part of this is that you know. Oak can be a thing that um, we can either, you know, just kind of ignore and not really pay too much attention to. Um, but I think we're missing out on a ton there. You know, uh, most people will estimate that, you know, somewhere between 40 and 60 percent of the flavor profile of any given whiskey is going to come out of the barrel. And so if you can get that much out of it, whether it is a finishing technique or the entire aging process, um, maybe we need to think a little more about 
what the different wood profiles are going to do for the, the tasting of it. And so um, that's that's pretty much what I've got for the night. I'm working on a couple of other um, episode ideas. I've, I'm really hoping that I have a very fun post to, sh- to share with you guys about a, an interview I'm going to try to do next week. Um, after that, I know that I have lined up uh, an episode with um, David from Whiskey in My Reading Room. He actually invited me on to do some stuff for one of his Patreon episodes. I've met David in person. He's a super dude. Um, opportunity for him to come on and chat with some things. Trying to work out something with um, Eric from This Is My Bourbon Podcast. See if we can get him to come on and just chit-chat, hang out for a little while. Um, a handful of other brands we're working through trying to get something on the calendar uh, so we can talk about some stuff. I got some fun stuff in September. There's, there's there's a lot of things that are happening. And then, of course, we're closing in on the Kentucky Bourbon Festival. I went last year, um, did a sort of review after it was over. Uh, I'll go again this year and kind of post another review. Bought a different ticket uh, experience than I did the last time. Last time it was the standard. This year I bought the VIP. Um, we'll kind of compare those against each other, compare the event against each other, just kind of see what happens. Maybe we'll make some new friends, um, see some old friends, see the guys from Penelope or you know anybody else that happens to be there. Maybe Alan from French Lick will be there. Loved it chat with him in person <laughs> super dude um but we'll see i think i think it's going to be a fantastic event there was a lot of pause over the way last year's event was put together from some of the local citizens but um there's some really good episodes with the organizers of uh, the Kentucky Bourbon Festival on other podcasts that talk about the reasons for why they did the things the way they did. And I encourage you to seek those out. Um, I would name who they are, but I can't remember which episodes they were. I'm pretty sure Bourbon Lens was one. Um, pretty sure there's been a couple of other podcasts and I now feel terrible because I can't tell you who they were because I don't remember it, but I probably should have written it down. So that way I could you know, say, Hey, go listen to these things. Hey, Ch- Hey Tim, thanks for uh, showing up. I'm getting ready to wrap it up for the night. Um, it's been sort of a meandering episode. I haven't had one where we've talked about just, uh, a single topic. We've been doing interviews for a while. Uh, it was a time to kind of get back in the saddle. We'll probably, we may have another one of these next week. Hopefully, like I said, I'm going to be able to have a real fun interview um, that's sort of whiskey adjacent, something that is whiskey tangential, not directly related to it. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, but all of that, like I said, thank you guys for, for being here tonight. Um, thanks for tuning in for this particular offering of the Embellished Podcast. If you enjoyed this, Please leave me a review on whatever platform that you've got to be consuming this on, whether it's a podcast, audio, video, wherever. Uh, it helps me out a little bit. Uh, leave a comment if possible. Hit me up on social media, on Twitter or Instagram, using EmbellishPod. Um, make sure that if you're going to be at Kentucky Bourbon Festival, hit me up on social media. You have my accounts. I'd love to shake hands, meet you, chat with you, nerd out over something, or just share a drink or whatever. Uh, but aside from that, it's also a good place to keep up with what's going on here and what's going to happen next. You know, What what interviews do I have coming up? Um, you can also hop over to my website. It is www.embellishpod.com. 
Um, it gets updated regularly, but it's not a central place of content. It's just a good place to store things. You can go there and you can get links. You can get a con accounts, contact details. You can find out where I am on other social media platforms and, and what I'm posting there. And hopefully, um, as things sort of calm down, as, as everybody goes back to school, I'll have a little bit more time to kind of focus on making sure that I'm putting out things that people are interested in. So, um, Thanks for being here once again. I'll be back again next week with something else. Um, until then, cheers and thanks for hanging out, guys.